This is the third consecutive Sunday in which we've heard from the unusually important sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. Two Sundays from now, we'll have the fourth section of this. John 6 is particularly important because in it, Jesus reveals to the world 2,000 years ago who he is in a very direct way. He claims certain things about himself that demand responses from the crowd to whom he makes these revelations. Who he is, from where he comes, what he offers the world, some of how he most powerfully offers himself to the world, and the freedom that we have to respond however we want to this. So this is about a crowd 2,000 years ago, but it's also about the crowd of humanity to whom Jesus speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit until the end of earthly time. Remember we talked about at the beginning of this chapter, there is a vast crowd of people, 10, 15, 20,000 people who experience Jesus's miraculously multiplying a few loaves of bread, a couple of dried fish to feed the whole crowd and the whole crowd responds positively. It's an astonishing miracle and people get to eat which everyone likes. By the end of the chapter, not only do most of the people in that crowd turn away from Jesus, you may remember this, by the end of the chapter, as Jesus gives more and more claiming of who he is, many of his closest disciples turn away from him and they return to their former ways of life because what he's saying and what he's claiming is too much for them. So keep that in mind. The vast crowd of people on this planet today still have not yet had the opportunity to hear who Jesus is. You and I have. Many of us who hear who Jesus claims to be turn away because it's too much for us, because we reject it. So this is not just about you and me who hopefully are trying to grow as disciples of Jesus. It's for us in the world. Our responses to what Jesus claims in this chapter have everything to do, hopefully, with salvation growing in other people's lives. So this week we've got verses 41 to 51 of John 6. The context of this, I'm quite confident, is kind of pushed at us by that first reading from the first book of Kings in the Old Testament. The first book of Kings has in it Elijah, this is the focus this morning, who is one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He ministers during the ninth century before Christ. So his call from God, his mission, which he accepts, is to speak God's truth to God's chosen people, our spiritual ancestors, the Jewish people. Lots of the time, this is a wonderful experience for Elijah. He has success, people listen to him, people do change their lives, people turn away from sin, they get closer to God, they build a much more just community. But often it's very difficult because people in all times don't necessarily like to hear God's truth. He probably experiences his worst time of life in the setting of the passage we just heard. So the king of Israel at this point is a person named Ahab. Ahab marries a foreign woman named Jezebel. The theological term for Jezebel is she is a piece of work. She is a wicked woman. She brings her foreign false gods into his life and Ahab makes the free choice to worship not just the one true God, but also these false gods. So he's the king. He is supposed to be a religious leader. He is supposed to be helping people grow in knowing the true God. He mixes these things together, so religious syncretism, where you're mixing in truth and absolute falsehood, it's a real danger to the people of Israel. This is not just a personal mistake he makes. So Elijah, the prophet, 
goes and he calls out Ahab for this, for God. He says that this is sinful and he needs to change. Elijah confronts a couple hundred of the prophets of the false god, Baal, in front of a big crowd of people. He reduces them to ridiculousness and then he slaughters them. Old Testament, he slaughters them. Jezebel reacts to this with vengeance. She says she's going to kill Elijah and she's going to do it. So he knows she's going to do it. He presumes that she's going to succeed in destroying him. That's where we get to this passage. He goes off into the desert and he lies down underneath, he goes beneath a broom tree. I just posted yesterday a picture of a broom tree in the desert on our social media. It's really a great picture. I invite you to go take a look at it because I think you can imagine him there. So he goes underneath the broom tree and he says to God, oh Lord, this is enough. Take my life for I'm no better than my father's. This is not a man who's suicidal. This is a really holy man. He is at the end of his life, he thinks. He asks God to take his life because it's so awful and presumably he cannot imagine a future that in any way could be good. This is really, this is a realistic story. Oh Lord, take my life. And he lies down and he goes to sleep, praying that God will end his life. God is life. God is eternal life. God never in any way, shape, or form, wants any life to end. God is eternal love. God entirely loves Elijah, and he knows what a good servant he's been. So God intervenes in this real situation. God sends an angel. The angel touches Elijah and says, get up and eat. He sees that there is, miraculously, a hearth cake, a form of bread and water there. He makes the free choice to eat the bread and drink the water, and he goes back to sleep. Does he still want to die? I, think, I bet he does, and I think that detail to me matters because this is a process. It doesn't just automatically happen. God doesn't abandon Elijah. God sends the angel again. The angel again wakes him up and commands him, eat lest else the journey will be too long for you. Not eat, and then everything's going to be okay. Not eat, and God is going to perform a series of miracles to resolve all your issues. Not eat, and life is going to be short. Not eat, and life is going to be easy. Eat, else the journey will be too long for you. If he eats this and receives this nourishment from God, life is going to be long, the journey is going to be hard, but he will make it. If he does not accept this nourishment from God, the journey will be too long for him. So he gets up and he eats and he's strengthened and he's able to make the short-term journey. He walks for 40 days and night to Mount Horeb. So he's free of the threat of Jezebel. He's also able to be nourished for the long-term journey for the rest of his life. Elijah ends up having a very vibrant, very powerful, very meaningful life. What he presumes at that moment, life should end, is a real experience, but God is much bigger. God has nourished him. Ahab ends up being killed. Ahab's son ends up being overthrown. Jezebel gets thrown out the window of the palace by a bunch of eunuchs, trampled by a horse, and eaten by dogs. Couldn't happen to a nicer person. And by the way, if you want to think this through, don't start doing it now. 
the, actually, it's in Two Kings, that when the dogs digest Jezebel, the scripture tells us this is what she turns out to be. Just think that through. If not, you can look it up. So, it's in the Bible. So, John 6. Life is meant to be wonderful. I hope that your life is filled with happiness right now. But life inevitably includes a lot of hardship for most of us. Life turns out to be very long, and it includes even times that in which we say, God, this is enough. Take my life. I do not want to live this anymore. I cannot see any kind of good future. That portrait of Elijah is not what human life is all about, but it, it does include that kind of depth of badness for most of us sooner or later. God's ultimate and final intervention into this fallen sinful world with the worst that it brings is Jesus Christ. What's prefigured in that story of Elijah What's prefigured in our ancestors receiving manna in the desert with Moses is brought to its absolute fullness in Jesus. Jesus in the passage we just heard, so there's a, a good repetition here of some of what we heard previous Sundays, and then there's another big addition. These claims are either true or false. Jesus says, I am the one from God. That's either true or false, there's no in-between. I have seen God the Father, which no human being has. That's either true or false. I, Jesus, have come down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and they died. I am the true bread that comes from heaven. Whoever eats this bread, me, will live forever. I will raise him on the last day. Remember, we talked about this last week. When Jesus says, eat me, he means come to me and believe in me. Listen to me, put me at the center of your life, learn what I teach, and do it. Not be associated with me, not even just be baptized. If you believe in me, you will live forever. I will raise you on the last day. And then here's the big addition this week. My, the bread that I will give in the future is my flesh for the life of the world. So I am the bread of life now. Whoever believes in me will live forever. And in the future, I will give you my flesh for the life of the world. That's where the passage ends this week. What is he talking about there? The Eucharist. Ultimately, Jesus gives this world through the power of the Holy Spirit, his full self in what we're about to experience. Ultimately, he gives us his full self, body, blood, soul, and divinity in this food that he invites us to eat and drink so that he can enter into our lives now and give us the nourishment now for the journey we're living. You and I have been given the fullness of God's blessing and nourishment to get us through this life. It's belief in Jesus, and it includes fully receiving him in this sacrament. So I invite you to consider this week, here's an easy spiritual exercise. You can do this, you can modify it, whatever you want to do. You can read about Jezebel, whatever you feel like doing. So number one, take that passage from 1 Kings. You have citation in the bulletin, open your Bible, or go to the link right to the readings on our social media. Just number one, take that passage. 
look at that image of Elijah underneath the broom tree, wanting his life to end. Can you relate to that about yourself, about people you love? Don't go down any holes about yourself. Don't get into, oh, my life is so bad, including if it is really bad. Just can you recognize that this is part of life? Number two then, take those 10 verses and just hear Jesus saying these things directly to you. Here's who he claims to be. How do you currently positively respond? You can do this as a couple, you can do it as a family, you can do it with friends, you can do it by yourself. Just hear him saying these things to you because he is. How do you respond positively? As in, I really do believe he is the one from God. I really do believe he came down from heaven. I really do believe that he is the bread of life. That if I go to him and live my life as his disciple, I will not ultimately die. When my earthly life comes to an end, I believe that he will raise me up. And I 100% believe that this is his flesh for the life of the world. As in, I believe this is the fundamental nourishment that he gives me to live in this world, to live through the greatest stuff and the worst stuff. I invite you to do that. Once you hear this, you must respond. Inaction is a response. Rejection is a response. I believe most of us respond very positively, and I believe we're on the path of salvation. <laughs>